Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. How we doing today? Hey! I'm going to make this mic thing work. Hey, y'all, how we doing? Hey! Woo! My name is Jean Carlos. I use he and pronouns. I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, and just a little life update. Um, Fabo and I are here, and in a week we're going to be in Ecuador. Uh, we're going to be spending um, some weeks in Ecuador, and so this is kind of our, our last couple days before we get on a plane and go. Um, and so as we get started, we are in a series called Revolutionary Advents. Uh, we're talking about how the incarnation and the life of Jesus gives us an example for what revolution can look like. Um, and today I want to start our time with a question. Um, And it's a question that I want to invite you to give your full attention. It's a question I want us to wrestle with. And um, to give you a little outline of the message, we're gonna go, uh, we're gonna go low, and then we're gonna go high. (laughs) We're gonna, we're gonna. This is a question that is a question uh, of hope, but it's also a question of despair. If I'm honest, it's a question of disillusionment, but it's also a question about our role in the revolution. And the question before us is this: What do you do? when you want to change the world, but you come to the conclusion that you can't? What do you do when you want to change the world, but you come to the conclusion that you can't? Um, Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do if you care about climate change, if you understand the climate crisis that we are in, if you understand the way climate change is going to multiply suffering, It's going to increase scarcity. It's going to cause wars and conflict. It's going to displace millions and millions of people. We're going to have climate refugees in so many different parts of the world. What do you do do when you understand the situation at hand? And then you take out your calendar. You take out your calculator. You punch some numbers. You look at the time, and you come to the conclusion that we might not solve this in time. You come to the conclusion that We know exactly what to do as a planet, as a people, but there might not be the the will. There might not be the willingness. There might not, we may not repent in time. What do you do when you want to change the world, but you come to the conclusion that you can't? What, What do you do if you care deeply about dismantling white supremacy? If you want a world where black, brown, and indigenous bodies are free and whole, where there are no barriers or obstacles or systems in their way. And you take out your calculator, and you punch in some numbers, and you look at the calendar, and you realize, you come to the conclusion that if we work really, really hard, we might dismantle white supremacy in 300 years. We might get rid of that in a couple of generations. You won't see it if it happens. And then you put down your calculator and you put down your calendar and you look at the world and you open the news app on your phone and you realize we're actually not working really, really hard as a country to solve this. So that 300 years is like optimistic. It's like, woo, look, it's only 300, you know? Um, What do you do when you want to change the world, but you come to the conclusion um, that you can't. Uh, And this is a question that I've been asking myself recently. Um, It's a question that, if I'm honest, I've been experiencing some disillusionment. Um, Not in God, but in 
the church, you know? Uh, and by church, I don't mean New City, and, and nor do I really even mean like United Methodism. What I mean by the church is anyone connected to Jesus across space and time, right? Like the church, the universal church. You know, I'm here on a Sunday morning talking to you about Jesus, and yet when I drive around, my husband and I would not be safe or welcome in the majority of churches in our city. I'm here, and I'm preaching out of John chapter 1, and I would not belong, I would not be loved, I would not be included, I would not be allowed to even like volunteer in a kid's ministry or like slides in the back because I'm gay. Like, what does that say about the thing that, and you know, it's easy, you know, sometimes when churches or Christians see other churches and other Christians do bad things, what we do is we do this cute thing where we say, no, we're the real Christians, and we're the real church, but I'm, and you don't have to be, but I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and so they're part of my team, <laughs> when I like it or not. Like, I don't know if you're watching the World Cup right now, but, like, what do you do when you're, you're, you want your team to do well and your team's not doing well? What do you do when, if they're on my team, I don't really want to play, right? And, and so I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at the ways that it has failed, the way that it's harmed people. I went to a conference recently with a bunch of young adults from across the country talking about the future of the church. And we had a, a wall probably the size of the stage. And we filled it with post-it notes. It was called a wall of desolation. And each of those post-it notes had a, a way that we had seen the church fail us or fail others, harm us or harm others. And let me tell you, that, that wall was filled. Let me tell you, I got the pleasure and the privilege of getting to know the community, the 45 people that were in that conference. I could read like three or four of them and I want to cry. Like, what do you do when you want to change the world? But you come to the conclusion that you can't. Because if I could press a button and make the church inclusive, I would press that button. But, but I can't find that button. What do you do when you want, you really, you really want to change the world, but you come to the conclusion that you can't? And the reason changing the world is hard is because changing the world, change fundamentally requires consent. Change doesn't happen just because you want it to happen or you will it to happen. People have to say yes. People have to consent. And not only do they have to consent once, they have to keep saying yes. They have to provide a commitment to that yes. And not only do they have to be committed, they have to contribute, sacrifice toward that change. Change is hard. Change requires consent. Um, and if you've been doing this long enough, if you've been serving long enough, if you've been loving people long enough, you eventually come to the realization that your contribution is limited and that maybe you don't actually have the power within you alone to change the world. What do you do when you want to change the world but you come to the conclusion that you can't? I'm watching a show called Andor. Anybody else watching Andor? Yeah, 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 there you go. It's a show about resistance. It's a show about rebellion. It's also a Star Wars show, so, you know, maybe you're too, not, too cool to watch that, uh, but I'm not. Um, and so I'm watching Andor, and it's a show about rebels um, in the midst of an empire that is oppressive and expansive and overwhelming, and how they respond to that empire. Because they have a calendar, too, and they have a calculator, too, and they punch the numbers. They have six soldiers. The empire has six billion. They have a couple spaceships. The empire has 
all of them, right? They have a little bit of money. The empire controls the entire financial system. And so they're looking at their odds. They're looking at their possibilities. And they're, they're coming to the conclusion that they want to change the world, but, but, they, but they can't. There isn't a button they can press. Um, and so uh, there's really three categories in the show and in our lives uh, that we can respond to this question. Three ways of responding that I want to share with you today. The first way is to give nothing, to do nothing, right? Um, if the empire is so big and so expansive, if there's no chance of changing it, if even if they do change it, you're not going to see it in your lifetime. If trying to change something is like planting a tree that you'll never see grow up, a tree you'll never eat from, then, then maybe don't. Maybe don't give. Maybe don't sacrifice. Why would you risk your life? Why would you risk your time and energy for an empire that's not going to move, for a world that's not going to change? And also, the show brings up this idea of galactic empire. So, like, we understand planetary empire, meaning, like, let's say you have a planet, and you have a really bad empire, and let's say you have a 1% of chance of winning. Well, that's really not good odds, but if you win, you get liberation, which is kind of nice. But in a galactic system... If you get liberation for one planet, just wait a day. There will be a hundred ships from a hundred other planets that will come and take your victory away. And isn't that what sometimes liberation feels like on this planet? Oh, yay, gay marriage is legal. JK, it's all taken back, right? Yay, we have the right to... Oh, just kidding, right? Like, we, 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 it, sometimes liberation feels like one step forward and ten steps back. And so we have the option of giving nothing. And I know that... We're not going to pick this option at the end of this message, but like, let's just sit on that for a moment. Like, sometimes we just want to survive. Sometimes we just want to get through. And actually, some of you, this option is a season for you. You need to not give anything. You need to rest. You need to recover. You need to heal. And that's okay, too. The second option is a lot more sexier and a lot more cool. It's you can give everything, right? You can, you can give everything all that you have to give. You can do everything. You can be a preacher and an accountant and a startup person and a healer. And a, you, can, you, can, you can give everything, right? Um, and that sounds nice. And I see a church and a, and a movement and I, I see so many people that go into ministry, nonprofit work, activism, and they give everything and six months later, there's nothing left to give. And can I tell you, the revolution doesn't need you for the next six months. We need you for the next 60 years. Right? We need something sustainable. Giving everything sounds cool, but if you phrase it differently is, you should give so much all of the time so there's nothing left of you, nothing left to give. Have you met people that have gone into ministry, gone into nonprofit work, gone into activism, and at the end of that process, at the end of that journey, they had less faith, less hope, less peace, less passion, right? Is the revolution... Right? We talked about this a couple months ago. Does justice have to kill you? Does the revolution require that you become a shell of a person? Hmm. And then the third option that I want to present to you, I want to submit to you, I want, to, I want you to give your attention to. The third option is you can bring your gift. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You can bring your gift. And what we're going to learn today, what we're going to discover in our time, is that we only have our gifts. And our gift is all we need. We only have our gifts. And our gift is all we need. And so we're looking at two revolutionaries. 
in John chapter 1. We're looking at John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. We're looking at these two people who we're still talking about thousands of years later. If we're still talking about anybody in this room 2,000 years later, high five. If in 2,000 years anybody knows what a Minneapolis is, high five. Like, we did it, y'all. We did it. So these are two revolutionaries. Um, and they give us an example of what it means to be a revolutionary. Um, but they teach us something important. And what we're going to learn from them is that it's not about the outcome. It's about the offering. It's not about the outcome. It's about the offering. And we see, we see Jesus, right? And we learn from this passage that the world came into existence through him. And yet the world did not notice. The world did not recognize. We have a Savior who gave a gift, even though the outcome would be that some people didn't want it. Some people didn't choose it, right? And, and, and we have a Savior who came to his own people, and his own people were like, nah. We, we have a Savior who brought a gift. But here's the thing about gift. The gift is about the offering. What people do with the gift is up to them. We can't, here's, here's the thing. We don't control what people do with our gifts. We don't have power over how people respond or how people receive or what people do with our offering. We only have power over our gifts. We only have power over this, this, this limited thing that God has given us to bring. And, and we see this in the life of John, right? For, a long, for the last couple of months, I, I felt this disillusionment. I felt this, look at the church, look at the world. It's kind of dry. It's kind of dead and dying. It's kind of unsustainable and about to collapse. That's what I saw when I saw the church and the world. And, and I, I remember looking at God and being like, God, like, this is like a desert, right? This is a wilderness. And I felt God was like, yeah, and that's why I've called you to be a voice in the wilderness. The wilderness you thought was an obstacle, a barrier to your calling. No, no, no. The wilderness is the very setting, the very context, the very ground I'm about to move in. There are things that you thought were in the way of your calling. There are things that you thought were an obstacle to your gift, but they're actually the very reason your gift is needed. They're actually the very reason you've been called to today. Your gift is the only thing you have 100% control of. We can give nothing, we can give everything. Both of those options are going to leave our communities and ourselves empty. But when we bring our gift, God does something incredible. When we bring our gift, and so we have this example of John the Baptist, and I really connect to John the Baptist, like I have a lot of fun, quirky connections to John the Baptist. Um, his mom's name was Elizabeth, my mom's name is Isabel. Um, Isabel is Elizabeth in Spanish. Um, his dad's name was Zechariah, and he was this really shy guy who doubted God, so an angel was like, I guess you're not going to talk until this thing happens. And my father's name is Angel, and he's really shy and has a lot of faith and doubt issues. Um, I, I found out years later, I, I always thought, you know, if you go to Puerto Rico, where I'm from, San Juan is named after St. John. That's what I thought. It's a, uh, after the author of the book of John. It's actually named after John the Baptist. And if you go to San Juan, and you go to the legislature, you go to the, like, you know, it would be like our Congress for our state. If you go to the legislature 
in front of the legislature is a statue right on the coast. It's like literally on the beach looking at the legislature. And it is a statue of John the Baptist pointing his finger at the legislature because John the Baptist is preaching truth to power. John the Baptist is, a, like, is bringing his gift whether people want to receive it or not, right? John the Baptist is always preaching truth to power to the degree that there is a saying in Spanish. It's kind of like when pigs fly. Um, the saying is when John puts his finger down because John will never put his finger down. John will never stop calling the political leaders of Puerto Rico to account, right? So, so there's this, this thing where John the Baptist is the guy out in the wilderness, and the second part of the passage we read was the political and religious leaders sending people. They didn't want to go themselves, by the way. <laughs> they didn't want to go out into the desert themselves. They sent people to say, who are you? Who do you think you are to bring your gift who do you think you are to say what you're saying? They had nothing to critique about his message. They critiqued his authority to even say it. They critiqued his place to even bring his gift, right? And he responds by saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And so we have this example in these two lives of people who brought their gifts. And people, a lot of people didn't receive them. Didn't, didn't accept it, didn't want it. And yet, when it's all said and done, by the way, I, like, I don't, maybe you're reading the gospel, so I don't want to like, spoil the ending, but they crucified Jesus, you know? I don't know if you, like, it's a very Game of Thronesy thing. Like, John the Baptist criticizes the king. It's one thing to preach truth to power in a democracy. He was preaching truth to power in a not-democracy. And he, he gets put in jail. Uh, a lot of people stop following him. A lot of people... People obviously stop showing up to his events and his experiences. Uh, he loses his kind of influence and platform. And then months later, alone in a cell, you know, there was a party and um, like you go read the account, but essentially like he gets his head cut off, put on a platter and shown at a party. And that's the end of John the Baptist. And if you were looking at that life and if you were there at that time, you would look at that and you'd say, oh, there goes a revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, his life never amounted to the change that he wanted to see. And it would look like a failure, but then Jesus talks about it. Jesus says, actually, that was the greatest of anyone born. That, that's what greatness looks like because it's not about the outcome. It's about the offering. You have zero control of the outcome. You have 100% power over your offering. And the good news is that we have such a gifted community. I don't know if you know this, but we have a church right here that God has given so many gifts to. And in a lot of passages in the scriptures, we see the gifts of the Spirit. These are called spiritual gifts. And there's so many spiritual gifts, right? And each of you has at least one, uh, probably many, right? We don't all have the same gifts. Not all of us should, like, you know, dance on stage. Like, that's not, like, I, I should not be leading worship. Amen. I don't know if you've heard me sing. It's not great. Um, but, like, we all have these gifts, right? And these are, like, spiritual gifts, right? There's the gift of, in the Bible, the gift of administration. You're good at organizing, planning, scheduling, right? If you have that gift, bring it, right? There's, there's the gift of exhortation that you can speak things into people's lives. There's the gift of healers. Have you met a healer at New City? 
Someone you're just like in proximity to and you start healing from trauma. Someone you're in proximity to, sometimes it's just like a touch and something is released, right? We have people here with the gift of healing. We have people here with the gift of leadership that you have a, a vision for what the world can be and you, you have this influence to make it happen, right? There's a gift of teaching. Some of you know how to explain big things and small things to anyone. Some of you are so good at walking alongside with people as a teacher. Right, we have prophets here. Like, we have so many great voices that want to represent uh, a, a God who is loving and just and looks nothing like uh, the, the God that at times is presented in our culture. Right? Each of us has a gift. Right? There's a gift of faith. Right? This deep confidence and experience in the goodness of God infuses every situation that you enter. There's a gift of wisdom. There's so many people here. You might be 30, but you have the wisdom of like a 90-year-old. And, and just like you being in a room, in a conversation, you add a wisdom, right? There's all these gifts in the Bible, and you have one of them. And for me, this is kind of like, I've, I've been doing this a long time that I know this, but I think it's worth saying that there's a calling on your life. I think it's worth saying that God has given you supernatural gifts. I think it's worth saying that you, yes, you, have a ministry. Right? We see in the Bible the gift you know, sometimes it's creativity or craftsmanship. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was an account where the Holy Spirit filled people, and artists specifically, and they were able to create sacred art, specifically the Ark of the Covenant. There are artists here who, who can create music and paintings and books and movies and film. There are artists here that can show us God and can show us justice in ways that we can't see otherwise. You have a gift. But there's really two kind of things that get in the way of you bringing your gifts. The first I would call is shy energy. And that, uh, what I mean by that is, like, who am I? Who, who are you? Who are we to bring our gifts, right? It's, it's imposter syndrome. It's this, like, sense of, you know, I, I, I'm not good at this, or I, I don't have this experience, or I don't have this authority, or I don't have this credential to bring my gifts, and so I'm not going to. Um... But instead of asking, who are you, maybe we should ask, who the hell is everyone else? Right? They are made of the same stuff that you are, which is carbon and God. <laughs> right? Like, you are called. You are gifted. Just like John the Baptist, just like Jesus, just like Sarah and Hagar and Abraham, just like anybody else in the scriptures, you're made of the same stuff as them. And sometimes I'm in progressive circles, and I've been to some Christian leadership conferences, and this shy energy, this like, who are we to say anything about the infinite? So therefore, we'll say nothing. Why is it that really smart people are so shy and really dumb people are so loud? Why, why is it that really smart, nuanced, creative, caring, compassionate people think that their calling is to say nothing and do nothing because that might offend someone and someone might not receive that well, and the people uh, who are not very uh, compassionate, not very caring, feel the need to have a podcast. Like, what's that about? I, one of my favorite TikTokers has a bit where it's some, usually it's a man saying something wrong and offensive, and it's then uh, her getting on the mic and singing a song, and her song is, Stop Giving Men Microphones, over and over again. And so she just sings that over. Stop, and I know I'm a man with a microphone, but... <laughs> Stop giving men microphones. Can I say that? Like, 
We have some women here who are prophets. Amen. And we live in a society that socialized men to talk in every space. You have a gift. We need your gift. Bring your gift. You can't change everything. You can't do nothing. But if you bring your gift, wow, what God will do with that. The other energy is called saving energy. There's shy energy. I'm not going to bring my gift. They're saving energy, which is when you take responsibility for other people's lives and communities, right? When you think, no, I'm going to control the outcome. I'm going to change them. I'm going to save the situation when you, you might not, right? That decision is up to you. We have, if the God of the universe came, offered his gift, and respected people's consent and respected people's decision to want him or not want him, to follow him or not follow him, to live into a new way of life or to not live into a new life, then maybe we can respect people's consent as well. Maybe we can respect people's decisions. I know a lot of artists who have some gift to give, but shy energy prevents them from bringing their, their gift. I also know a lot of like leaders who have the saving energy that want to like turn it all upside down who who show me a plan to burn it all to the ground and i look at the plan and i'm like hey awesome plan but like i'm looking at the plan and you burn down with this <laughs> and we kind of like you we kind of need you and and if your plan requires you to burn down with the whole thing maybe maybe let's come up with a different plan amen and so i'll, I'll close with this um i uh Years ago, I came out of the closet, and I was so, so grateful to be in a community that accepted and loved me. And we were, it was a small church in a small kind of progressive place, and I, I was so grateful for the community there. But at one point, I had a, a leader come up to me and say, after I came out after that Sunday, come up to me and say, hey, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you're sorry about what? I'm sorry that it was your dream to do ministry and now you won't get to. I'm sorry that you, the likelihood that you will ever be hired by a church to do any ministry is very, very small. Our denomination um, doesn't, doesn't uh, employ queer people. Most denominations don't. Most churches in the city won't. And so I guess now you, you know, I'm sorry. You won't, you won't, you won't get to do your thing, you know. And um, I remember receiving that. And I'll be honest with you, I, just, I, I agreed with him. I believed him. I was like, yeah, I came out of the closet. I, I get to be who I am. And somehow the cost of that is that I won't get to bring my gifts. Somehow the cost of that is that, I, you're right, that dream, that dream will die. And maybe I'll have some other dreams. And that will be okay. Because I would rather be free than do ministry. I'd rather, like, be who I was meant to be. I'd rather have healing and wholeness than do ministry anyway. But what a joy it is that he was wrong. What a, what a joy it is that I was wrong. What a joy it is that God designed and created each of us. Our identities are a gift, that our talents and skills are a gift, that this is no accident. Your gift is good, it's sacred, and it's enough. And I, I, I get this joy of like, yeah, I get to do, I get to do ministry. And what a, what, what a place that we're in a community where no matter who you are, you get to bring your gifts. We're, this is a very startup-y place. Whatever your gift is, I, I, and some, some, some of you have the gift of hospitality. You know how to throw a party. You know how to make people feel so loved and welcome. Some of you here have all these gifts, 
And yes, there are some things that we cannot control. But what I realized in that situation is that no one can veto God's calling on your life. No one can veto your gifts. I can't promise you that the world is going to change. I can't promise you that we're going to be able to turn things around in time. That's not the good news that I have for you. But the good news that I have for you is the God of the universe loves you, is with you, and has called you to bring your gifts. So may we be a kind of people that understand that we only have our gifts, and that gift is all we need. Amen.